the Dead Letters Club podcast. It's getting dark out, so <laughs> we're getting dark we're out. Getting dark out. <laughs> It's like a podcast, but in a crypt. I fucking love small talk. It's my shit. We were talking earlier about some questionable, problematic book characters. Yeah. In the in the vampire literature category, we started because I sent you a like a TikTok or something about Twilight. Yes. Which we've both read. Yep. And seen. Yep. Unfortunately. Fortunately. For you. Yes. <laughs> um, and we were talking about like the trope of Renesmi and Jacob where it's so problematic because she's a child. she's a baby. And like Stephanie Meyer is always like, but don't worry, it's not like that yet. And yet. I'm like, okay, but it's like, that's the intention. Yes. And it's weird. And also, she ages faster. So, at like seven, she's gonna look like an adult but and have feel like the an adult. brain of a seven-year-old. But technically, you've been alive for seven years. It's yeah. still questionable. Very questionable. So, I uh, decided to introduce you to the world of uh, the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice, and those chronicle, those like questionable decisions. Louis, my favorite character of the Vampire Chronicles. I love him. He's a sad boy philosophizing vampire he's my favorite character is he brad pitt yes okay in the movie he's brad pitt yes yes never seen the movie but no brad pitt's in it yes you should watch the movie it's very good anyway (laughs) in the book so i my mom loves anne rice my mom was the reason that i've always loved reading i would always read her books i've read anne rice i love it so good i also love the movie the movie is fantastic but the book very problematic the movie kind of problematic the book I have thoughts, and they're not good. So I was rereading them in quarantine, because what the fuck else was I doing? I was reading a lot. And I forgot how problematic it is when they turn Claudia. She's like nine years old. She becomes a vampire. And like, it's her, Louis, and Lestat. They like have their little family. And like, Lestat is in love with Louis and doesn't want Louis to leave him. So he makes Claudia, because he knows if he makes Claudia, Louis will stay. Because Louis like, well, I can't abandon her. She's but then Louis talks about Claudia in like the weirdest way. He refers to her as like a appearing to be a child, but having the presence or the mind of of a woman. It's so problematic. That's real bad. It makes me so uncomfortable every time. Yeah. And he like refers to her as like his soulmate or like his lover or something like that. It's been a while, but there's something like that in the book. And I'm like, that's not good like there's no part in the book where they allude to or mention any physical romance between the two but he he envisions her that way like he envisions her to be his soulmate or to like to be his lover I'm like you are so fucking weird. that's weird i'm unwell that's weird yeah. anyway that's our small talk for this episode don't worry there's more oh my god there's so much more and now we're going back to uh the eye, the eye of, of the world, world. yes for us, it's been like two or three weeks since we've talked about this. Has been quite a long time. But these are pre-recorded, so there's no... There's no time for you guys. Who yeah. knows? It's straight... Like, I've seen you since then, but not in yes. this space. Not in the crypt. Not in the crypt. Not in the crypt. And we're here. We're here. In the crypt. Welcome back 
It's the Dead Letters Club podcast. podcast. Yes. I remember it this time. I'm getting so much better. Yes. Character growth. I'm a person. You're a person. I'm a well, relative person. Thing. Ghoul. Yeah. Demon. Monster. monster. Any of the above. Slightly unhinged goblin that has a proclivity for collecting books and books only. Yes. 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 But we're here. We're here and we're ready. The crypt is open, so, you know, it's Come a full moon. In. Yeah. It's kind of like foggy out. It's yes. only candlelit. I'm sorry, but that's all we have money for. Drop your things outside the crypt. Come in. Put on your sacramental robes. Let's let's talk about chapters 21 through 25 of The Eye of the World, because I have so many thoughts. These, This section was short but dense, like me. Yeah. Short but dense. I'm small, but I am very dense. Like, this section. I was like, oh, what we're so lucky it's a shorter section it's only like what 80 pages something like, like that. that instead of like 100 100 plus i was like this will be so easy they drop so much information in all of these lots of information i would also just like to let everybody know that at one point i got very lazy and also purchased the book on kindle so that i could read in bed <laughs> so uh at a certain point i don't have any highlights in here because i was reading a kindle amazing yes I love to see it. I was like, you know what? It's like 10 bucks. I thought about getting it on Audible so I can like listen, like re-listen to sections, but then I I found Elric of Melnivene and I haven't looked back, so. Yeah. You know. Alrighty, so. Everything's fine. Chapter 21. Uh, We are with our friend, Neneve. Uh, She's been separated from the group, but once she's separated from the group, the Trollocs are like, yeah, we don't give a fuck about you. They're like, you don't actually matter. Yeah, don't mind me, I just spilled coffee on myself. It's fine. Neneve's unimportant. They don't care about her. Uh, she rests and then searches for the rest of the group where she stumbles upon uh, Morian and Lan. Also, I'm pretty sure I spelled her name wrong the entire last chapter. Or oh like my last God. episode. I 100% spelled like... Um, Moraine wrong? No, not Moraine. Uh, fucking Mirdral wrong for like the first two episodes of our notes it was really bad and yeah. like other shit that i look back on it i'm like oh you mother yeah but it's fine like oh all right it's my notes so yeah it, no one's gonna look at these google docs except for us exactly maybe i'll release them with the episodes but for why like we're for why? we're fools yeah <laughs> um so she's observing their uh conversation or listening in on their conversation um Extra Trollocs must have been sent after they crossed the Terran, they learn. Um, since they bested the smaller group, they're like, all right, we're just going to send a ton of Trollocs. I just want to know how no one noticed. Yep. They just move all the time and no one knows or cares. I'm over the Trolloc shit. I'm yeah. over it. Honestly, I'm over it. We were so excited in that like first Oh my God. Episode. It was like, yeah, it was like chapter three or something. We we're like, this is so yes. cool. And then they like proved to be the worst like mob enemies ever like they're yeah. they're the worst mob spawns they're annoying they don't do anything and then they disappear yeah that's it yeah they're just not great um but also all of the trollocs are just gone like vanished gone not like oh we just picked up and left but like gone good including the dead stay real gone real weird real weird uh maureen knew uh she was there land did not haha haha Haha, Lynn. I love him. Uh, there is some vibes. 
I'm getting the vibes between Nave and Lan. Bit of a enemies to lovers, if you will. I'm down. I'm down as well. Um, they confirm that she has touched the true source. She hates it. She's super in denial about it, but also kind of is like, hey. Yeah, but at the end of the chapter, Nothing. she's like, fight me, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, both Nanave and Egwene have the uh, potential to be super powerful, per Moraine, uh, or Morian. And the boys have the magic coin GPS trackers, as we knew. She's going to find the boys over Egwene. And so Nanave joins Team Aesidai with some tree. Yeah. So, I like this chapter because I like that we're now splitting off into different, like, POV characters. Yes. It's not just Rand and Rand's, like, very hot and cold feelings towards fucking Queen. I'm so over that. And his delusions. Oh, my God. I mean, I like his dream sequences. They're kind of cool for exposition reasons. But other than that, I just, I don't know if I love Rand. I don't know if I'm there yet with him. No. But, um... Like you mentioned, we see that the Trollocs are uninterested in chasing Nynaeve after she, like, splits up. They, And she says that they know the smell of who they want. And she also s- describes it as, They fell silent, lifting muzzles to sniff at the air. They turned and vanished into the night. So, like, they don't want her. No. And although Nynaeve is seemingly now integral to, like, the pattern, as Maureen states, and as, um, what's her name? The, I don't know why I'm snapping. The the girl Min. Oh Min. Uh Min sees like potential in people, I guess, or like little bits of the future. And she's also integral she also has noted that Nynaeve's integral to the group, but it has nothing to do with why the Dark Ones or why the Dark One singular yeah. wants the boys. It has nothing to do with that. It has more to do, I guess, with like the potential future of the whole group instead of part of the group being the Dragon Reborn. Um, so, like, the Trollocs and the Halfman are obviously going to follow the boys. Yeah, that's the most important thing. And then we see that she, like, starts looking for tracks to see if she can find anyone else. And then she decides that if she can't find anyone else, she's just going to go to Whitebridge and then Camelin and then Tarvalon. And we see that, like... Um, Perrin and Egwene will have a, a similar thought, but they'll go to Camelin. No, they'll skip Whitebridge. If everyone just went to Whitebridge, this is what's pissing me off in this chapter. If everyone just went to Whitebridge. Like they planned. Yep. Everything would be fine. But everyone's like, no, I'm going to go here and I'm going to go here. And I'm going to, I'm just like, you motherfuckers. Yeah. You're going to literally just miss everybody. Yeah. Uh, we see that again, that like you said, she meets, she, she kind of, not meets up with them, but she kind of, like, spies on Moraine and Lan because mm-hmm. she follows their tracks. Lan's getting sloppy. And Lan notes that Trollocs don't carry off their dead. Unless they're hungry, but he, he mentions that it's, like, super unlikely. It's not a behavior that they exhibit often. And then, no. this is, okay. Here, I've got some problems now. Okay. Problems. 2,000 Trollocs? 2,000. No one's noticing this. Nope. Like, they talk about in um, the last ta- the last city, Berlin, that they were in, they talk about Trollocs amassing near Sidia, but they never talk about, like, 
2,000 Trollocs roaming around. Just a literal army like, of Trollocs. Just pardon? Searching for some boys. Yeah, no, no one's going to mention that. No one's going to be like, is that, like, it's not like they don't have multi-story buildings. We've seen them with multi-story. Yep. How is no one, like, where do they go during the day to not be seen? They're obviously still on foot because they keep catching up with the group. So what's going on? Yeah. I need an explanation. Very curious. And then we get Lan, like, postulating that the thousands amassed after the group got away from the original Mirdral and the hundred Trollocs um, in the two rivers. Yes. And he says, if those thousands were sent here to be sent into the two rivers, why were they not? There is only one answer. They were sent only after we crossed the Terran, when it was not when it was known that one Mirdral and a hundred Trollocs were no longer enough. So they thought that they could just like scoop up these boys with like a minimal force, but now they're like, fuck. Yeah, now we have to actually do this. Yeah. Okay. Also, they're kind of like trying to figure out um, how so many Trollocs have moved in a mass so quickly and Moraine makes this comment, she says, The ways are closed, and there has not been an Aes Sedai powerful enough to travel since the time of madness, unless one of the Forsaken is loose. What? Yeah. We're not going to explain that. We're going to gloss over that. I want to know what the ways are. I'm assuming traveling is, like, teleporting. Yeah, like I'm assuming, what's his name did. Yeah, and I'm assuming the ways are, like, a a tool or a station or like a way station in order to do that but the time of madness <laughs> excuse me lots of questions yeah and then maureen also comments a little bit after she says i do not think all the forsaking together could move a thousand trollocs so even then she's like that's not really yeah possible that's out of their possibility that's a lot of power exactly and as we've seen in previous chapters Aes Sedai and people who can channel are slowly, like, degradating. They're not as powerful as they were. They're yeah. losing knowledge. They're losing ability. So it's interesting to see how all those Trollocs got here and, like, what the cause is. Very and much so. I feel really satisfied for uh, predicting that these coins were fucking fantasy GPSs. Yep. God damn it. I feel so good. Tracking them boys. Yeah. And... Um, Moraine notes that um, one is across the river and alive, and I'm assuming that's Perrin. Yes. And she says, as for the other, there was a faint trace downriver, but it faded away as I found it. The bond had been broken for hours before I began my search. So that's Matt and Rand giving their stupid fucking coins to that stupid fucking captain. I'm so mad. Because yeah. it's definitely specifically like geared towards them. Yeah. So just giving it to a guy they're near is not going to help. Yeah. So like that's, I'm assuming that's what, that's how the bond was broken. Yeah. Was them relinquishing the coin from their possession. Yeah. Willingly too. Exactly. Rand was just like, here you go, fella. Here, here, take this valuable coin. That they could have used for like actual monetary purpose, but go off. Or at the very least, one of them give it and the other keep one, you know? Yeah. Anything anything ever but it's fine use your brains guys i also love that moraine outs nynaeve because like nynaeve is so staunchly opposed to moraine and she thinks she's like not all that you know what i mean 
Yeah. And I like that it's Moraine that's like, you can come out now. She's like, hey, what's up? You enjoying the conversation? Yeah. At least pay me admission for this entertainment. Yeah. Damn. Um, I also love the piece where, like, Nynaeve says that she feels a stab of satisfaction that Land didn't know that she was there. I'm like, oh, I fucking... Yes. And then we see Maureen trying to reveal to Nynaeve that, they, that Nynaeve can channel. She says, do you think I can stand face to face with a woman who can touch the true source and channel the p- one power even only now and then without knowing what she is? And Nynaeve's like, you're fucking... How dare you? <laughs> Maureen's like, nah, dude. And Maureen kind of explains that when she was in the two rivers, she heard how their wisdom was able to heal injuries that that should have crippled someone or that should have been life impacting but now there's barely a scar like she has incredible healing capabilities yes um and then we kind of get to see from moraine is how wielding the one power manifests and kind of affects young women Mm -hmm. it usually happens i think in times of like not stress, but, like, when you really need something. In times of duress, yeah, that's when it's most likely to appear. Maureen says, There was something you wanted more than anything else in the world. Something you needed and you got it. But a week or ten days later, you had your first reaction to touching the true source. Perhaps a fever and chills that came on suddenly and put you to bed. And Nynaeve, like, thinks to herself... Nynaeve sat down hard on the ground. Her legs would not hold her up. She remembered, but she shook her, shook her head anyway. It had to be coincidence. So she definitely had, like, a, an occurrence like this. Oh, yeah. We see her thinking about it. And she immediately knows what. Yeah, and she's like... And then she kind of tries to dismiss it. She's like, no, it's a coincidence. There's no way. Yeah. And then we see that it's it was so easy for Nynaeve to follow the group and to find the inn that they were in exactly in Barillon because she had previously unintentionally unaware used her ability um to heal like use the power to heal on one of the group members yes Maureen says use the power to heal either Perrin or Egwene at some time an affinity develops you can sense the presence of someone you've healed in Barillon you came straight to the stag and lion so it was not the nearest end to any gate which you could have entered. And Nynaeve, like, just numbly kind of goes, it was, it was Egwene. Yeah. And we, like, we see it was when she was uh, an apprentice to Mistress Baron. Mistress Baron told Nynaeve to watch, like, a baby Egwene mm-hmm. who was sick with breakbone fever. And... A, not Egwene. Uh, Nynaeve thought Egwene was dying, but Mistress Baron said that like, the fever would only last a few hours and she would be fine. So Mistress Baron leaves and comes back only an hour later and the fever was broken and Egwene was fine. And Nynaeve even says, a week later I fell on the floor in her sitting room, shaking and burning up by turns. She bundled me into bed. By supper time it was gone. So Mistress Baron knows the signs. Of someone who can channel, obviously. Yeah. We see that, like, she was surprised when Egwene's fever had broken in an hour. And then she was also not surprised 
when Nynaeve had, like, her fit of, like, yeah, her, her reaction. symptoms later. Yeah. And then Moraine tells Nynaeve that she's lucky because she possesses a crude control over the power. Because if she didn't, she would have died. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially when you don't even do it on purpose. And Moraine said something after that. She said, even if touching the true store still comes at random, if you had not, it would have killed you eventually, as it will in all probability kill Egwene if you manage to stop her from going to Tarvalon. So this train can't stop because if it does, it means Egwene will die. She's already touched the true source. There's no stopping the manifestation of her ability to channel. If she doesn't get guidance or if she doesn't get education on how to control it, she will die. Yeah. In all probability, which is very sad. And we hear that currently, the reason why there's so few Aes Sedai, three and four will die. Three and four girls will die if they're unguided. Yes. And we see that it's not like... A horrible death but it's not a good death yeah death isn't good convulsions screaming it takes days and once it begins there's nothing that can be done to stop it not by all the Aes Sedai and Tarvalon together and we also see that Nynaeve remembers that Mistress Baron's first apprentice the one that she ends up replacing died in the same way that Moraine is explaining to her currently like convulsions screaming it took days so we see that Mistress Baron kind of attracts girls that can channel yeah. who don't necessarily have the resources to go to Tarvalon. Yeah. It is also kind of crazy that there was, what, four women in Emmons Field that could... Well, we don't know if Mistress Baron can, True. but it, we can assume so. Yeah. Like, it's more than likely. But yeah, that's four in the last two generations. Which is a lot. The old blood, it sings, man. Oh, the Whatever old that blood means. sings. Whatever that means. Whatever it means, it sings. It's It, it do be singing. It do be. Oh my god. <laughs> I just want all the answers. I like have to stop myself from like looking up like lore things on this book. Oh yeah. I'm it's one hard. of those people. I'm, I have, we've talked about this, not in our podcast, but outside of our podcast, outside of the crypt talk. I have spoiled myself so many times because I cannot help it. Oh, yeah. I cannot help it. Like, I'll go on subreddits. I will look at pronunciation guides, which apparently are spoiler zones. Always. Why would that be a thing? That doesn't make any sense. Yep. You should just tell me how to pronounce the name. The amount of times that I have spoiled myself reading the Locked Tomb series is fucking unreal to me. I'm yeah. so annoyed. The, uh, that book series that I'm reading or was reading and was so disappointed in, I like saw a review for the fourth book and I'm like, all right, not going to read it. And then a few days later, I'm like, what happens? So I looked up a full summary. Give me the synopsis. Yeah. And it was a lot. It was a lot. There's a twin in there. Oh God. Yeah. The twin trope is so tired. Yeah. Let it rest. I was just like, oh no. Unless one of them is deformed. Let it rest. Nope. Let it rest. Both beautiful. Of course. Amazing. Anyway, back to the rest of this chapter. Back to this. Nynaeve wants Moraine to keep it between them and Lan. Because apparently we forget Lan's around. Yeah. 
Um, and then we watch Moraine fucking reverse psychology Nynaeve's punk ass into joining Lan and her on the hunt for the boys. Despite the fact that, like, Nynaeve's focus is finding Egwene and making sure she's okay, Moraine just kind of reverse psychologies her and Nynaeve's like, well, no, I'm gonna go. You can't keep me from going. She says, oh, yes, I will be going with you. You cannot keep me from it. Girl. Yeah. You just got baited so hard. So hard. And then fucking Lan just goes again, the motherfucking king of this story. He goes, a part of the pattern. I love it. Yes. We get the coin reveal again. No, no one cares. I'm over it now. I've had my moment of satisfaction. And then Maureen explains that her priority is in finding the boys. It has nothing to do with Egwene. Like, she cares for Egwene and she wants Egwene to make it yeah. to Tarvalon, but that's not her priority. No. And she also doesn't know for sure where Egwene is. Exactly. Because they don't know she's with Perrin. Yep. And... Maureen says, as much as I hope for Egwene's safety, Nynaeve, I fight against the Dark One, and for now, that sets my path. Yeah. And Nynaeve won't swear anything, or Nynaeve says, like, nothing will protect Moraine from her if any of her two river folk are harmed. Yeah. But if they did not find Egwene and the boys, all of them, alive and unharmed, not all of her powers would protect her. Not all of her power. I can use it, woman. You told me so yourself. I can use it against you. Damn. Damn. I'm hyped for this storyline. And now we're at uh, chapter 22. A path is chosen. If you want to flip your books. Or your Kindle. Or your audiobook. Or if you don't read the books and you're just here for the wild ride, then uh, we're on chapter 22. Turn in the right page. Yeah, just do, like, mimic the motion of turning a page and you'll feel satisfied. Exactly. Uh, Chapter 22. Got a little short summary for this one. Uh, we're back with Perrin, our favorite boy. I fucking love him. Uh, there are no Trollocs around. And so he begins searching for Gwen because if you remember, they were together when they like just fell off a cliff and into the river. He just rode off a cliff. Yep. Amazing. Uh, they, he finds her and she is hidden like a badass and with bella which thank god i was real that worried that horse about bella. will never die yeah still worried about some of the other horses oh they're they're not i know but <laughs> all of the horses that matt rand and tom were riding yeah i know bad news sorry um, dude <laughs> rest in peace these <laughs> fictional horses not cloud that don't even one has a name one has a name but bella's okay bella that's all that matters um, and Egwene has a fire. She's got like a club too. She's like ready to attack. She's being real badass, getting shit done. Um, they decide that they must continue on. As we mentioned, they decide that they're going to go to Camlin because they have no idea where anybody else is. And Perrin becomes the reluctant leader. He's very reluctant about it. There's a lot of like, oh shit, why am I the leader? That's his character growth for the next like three chapters. <clears throat> if anyone's wondering, it's a... Well, this is what a good leader does, so yep. I must not be a good leader. I'm like, bro, just chill out. Just, just settle down. It's okay. You're it's gonna, gonna be, be okay, fun. sweet boy. So again, I love Perrin. He's great. We love him. Um, he's on the east bank of the Arenal, but also like the boys are always complaining about Moraine and Land being around, and they're super mistrustful of them. But now, like, we'll see it with like Perrin right now, and we'll see it a little bit later. 
they like worry they like start getting sketched out without them yeah like Perrin says he was not sure how to feel fades and trollocs he could do without quite easily even on the other side of the river but a whole list of worries would have vanished with the appearance of the Aes Sedai or the Order or even better any of his friends brother yeah make it make sense yeah pick a side pick a lane Perrin yeah figure Either it out be a fan or, or a hater yeah figure it out one or the other um Perrin kind of surmises that if Egwene survived crossing the river, it would be downriver as she's not a strong s- swimmer like he is. So that's kind of like how he decides where to go. And then he finds some hoof prints and he's like, oh my God, Trollocs have hooves. But then he goes, some Trollocs had hooves, but he doubted he doubted if any wore horseshoes, especially horseshoes with a double crossbar Master Lewin added for strength. So he knows it's Bella's horseshoe. Yeah. He finds Egwene. Egwene's ready to pounce on him. She's not fucking around. Nope. And then they they kind of discuss where they should go if they can't find anyone. Which they're not going to except for that one crazy dude. Yeah. Um, and I hate that they literally decide against Whitebridge because they would have been reunited with Tom, Matt, and Rand. You Although motherfuckers. They'd probably have gotten there before them. Tom, Matt, and Rand Rat. Tom and Rat. Tom and Rat. Their couple name. <laughs> um, I don't know, because their boat is moving so oh, slow. that's true. Like, Perrin and Egwene are on, on one horseback, one foot. So they're on foot, basically, because it's not like one's going to gallop around <laughs> without the other one. And we'll see in Matt and Rand's POV chapter that, like, their boat is moving so slow. That's true. That I think they would have gotten there together. Because you have to think about more... I have thoughts. We'll discuss it in the okay. next chapter. So, they decide against Whitebridge. I'm fucking pissed. Yeah. Whitebridge is where we should go, but the Fades probably know that too. That's where they'll be looking. And this time we don't have an Aes Sedai or a warder to protect us. So then they decide on Camelon, ultimately. Away from the river and straight across. Nobody would expect that. We'll wait for them in Camelon. No one's going there. Who are you waiting for there? No one. Not a single person. At the very least, go towards your end goal. Travel yeah, on. exactly. So they decide that if no one meets them in Camelon for a few days, especially Moraine and Land, because fuck, fuck rat, <laughs> then they're going to go all the way to Tarvalon. And then it says, if she doesn't appear in Camelon in a few days, we go to Tarvalon and put our case before the Amerlin seat, which is like the most powerful Aes Sedai. Yes. The Aes Sedai of Aes Sedai. Yes. The leaders, the government, if you will. And then there's this little bit at the end that, I don't know, I'm probably reading too much into it. I was like unhinged when I wrote these notes. It said, if he was a leader, it was time to start leading. The wind from the river was picking up. So like we always see at moments of importance or like character growth moments that the wind is mentioned. I think it's an important indicator. Like, I think you can extrapolate from that that this is an important moment of character growth for Perrin, where he kind of steps out of being quiet and observant, but not really yeah outspoken. In he, Rat's shadow, if you will. Yeah. He's out, like, he's observant, and he's very articulate and very smart, but he doesn't, he's not outspoken. Yeah. And I think we'll see, especially in, like, the the next chapter and the last chapter, that he kind of stands his ground more he refuses to be pushed around either by Egwene 
or the character we're going to meet in the next chapter. He kind of, he's trying to figure it out on his own. And I think that this last sentence of this chapter, um, if he was the leader, it was time to start leading. The wind from the river was picking up. Is kind of showing that it's, this is signifying his growth. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're on chapter 23, Wolf Brother, my most favorite chapter. Yes. Um, My first line in my summary was, hello, Wolf Brother, which is a Vampire Diaries reference. I don't the first quote that Damon says in Hello, Brother. It's oh. also the last thing he says. That's sad. Did you see... Uh, totally off topic. has nothing to do with Vampire Diaries. Did you see they're rebooting True Blood? No, I never watched True Blood. Oh my god. You have to watch it. I think because it was on HBO and we didn't have HBO and it was like you know, streaming. Yeah. And also, my grandma was... Uh, she loved to shop for us, like, you know, give us stuff, but did also did not have a lot of money. So a lot of times we got a lot of like random things. And I know one year for my birthday or Christmas, she got me one of those, like one of the True Blood books. They're not good. Did not get me the first one. <laughs> so I did not read it. The True Blood books, they're not bad, but they're not great. Very different from the show. That's what I've heard. Yeah. They're like incredibly different but i love the show i'm a huge fan i also love alexander skarsgård oh yeah what a man yeah wow what a family oh my god i know yeah bill skarsgård especially in hemlock grove what a man 10 out of 10 both brothers never seen it both brothers isn't there a third brother i think there's like four brothers and then there's the dad right yeah yeah the dad was a he played um, Duke Harkonnen in Dune. In Dune, and he's in Thor, yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Anyway, the Skarsgård brothers can catch it. Yes. <laughs> That's the takeaway from this podcast yes. episode. I mean... Sorry in advance, but yeah. they're great. I love them. Anyway, you should watch both Hemlock Grove and uh, True Blood. Hemlock Grove is only like two or three seasons. It's on Netflix. It's pretty good. Oh, okay. It's got by far one of the best... In my opinion, werewolf transformations I've ever seen on screen. Interesting. It's really good. That's it. We can... Let's let's get back on track. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, okay. Chapter actually, back to 23. <laughs> um, so the two, Perrin and Egwene, they settle into a little camp. Uh, we learn that Egwene lost her flint and she had started her fire with her goddamn powers because she's a boss. And I'm impressed with her. I don't know what she's really worked on with uh, Moraine, but still. I was like, wow, a fire? It's a pretty big step. I feel like they haven't worked on anything like that. Yeah, that was just So this is just instinct. like her manifesting her own capability outside of Moraine. Yes. But you also have to think about like the duress she was in. Remember oh, yeah. what Moraine said? Like, yeah. have you, you wanted something, but you couldn't get it, but you absolutely wanted it, so you got it. Yes. Egwene needed fire. She was alone and she didn't have flint. She needed it to and stay warm and dry. she could be feeling the effects soon because they haven't really talked about how much the power. Is. Exactly. So, um, Perrin is super terrified of that. He's like, oh, nope, you can't do that again. Let's, uh, let's just not. Let's just never Fuck do that. that. Um, they continue on for days. They don't see a town. They don't see a farm. Just some sweet ass ruins. Dumb. Yeah. They're not... They're not great at looking for people. 
They're like, oh, we'll stop and ask for directions. No one. Literally no one. Um, Perrin, it briefly mentions that he has uh, some bad dreams in a maze uh, with the dark one. I will not be spelling that name. I've just started, I don't know if you looked in the notes, but I've started to respond to him as uh, Bowsy. That works. Because, like, fuck that. I already have enough issues with, like, verbal speech. I'm not doing it. Yeah. You're not catching me on that one. No. Sorry, but no. I'm already but a no. terrible enough speller. Can never spell the word restaurant. Can't do it. Worked <laughs> in restaurants my entire life. Can't do it. Yeah. For me, it's speech. I have the worst time with speech. I stumble over my words. I get fucked up every time. You'll not be catching me out here saying all that shit. No. Um, but parents having some bad dreams. They just, you know, hint at it. Just a little a little nugget. Because they're going to, you know, talk about it a little more later with uh, Rand. Jesus Christ, that was a dream sequence. Yeah. Um, and then they stumble upon a fire and a very strange man. Uh, I'm assuming it's Elias. Yeah. Uh, That's I would... what I'm saying. It's actually just Eli, but I'm just kidding. I was going back to that Penelope. You actually say it backwards? It's actually Silas. Silas. I don't know where you got that from. Yes. Um, and he has everything that they need. Weapons, food, cool clothes, mystical eyes, wolves. Uh, and he's been watching them for days. He's just like, yeah, been like... That's been his entertainment for days, yeah. is watching them go in the wrong direction. Yeah. Literally. I love when he goes, you won't get anywhere anytime soon. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. Who taught you how to track? Literally. He's like, who taught you anything? It's bad and you should feel bad. Literally. Um, so he's been watching them. They're at his fire. He allows them to eat. The wolves appear and he can talk to them. There's friends. Uh, and when he asks the two newcomers to the fire, their quest, and they tell the well-thought-out lies that they were, you know, going to tell people, which, good on them for coming up with a plan, because Matt and Rand probably would have just been fucking, like, uh... I fucking hate Matt. Matt is the worst. Yeah. Let me tell everyone all of my life secrets every time. Literally. Um, and so they tell this story, and the wolves are like... You're a fucking liar. You're lying and we know it. Literally. Uh, And so they tell the real story. And Perrin can talk to wolves too. He doesn't really like, you know, talk to them. He just knows about the wolves. He just knows things. He feels it in his bones. And he's denying it real hard. But Elias is like, yeah. Dapple says I can uh, go with you guys. So we're going to do it. Mom said I can go, so I'm going. Yeah. And then half the wolves are not pleased. Half the male wolves. and it The just young shows, males. The worst. Yeah, it just shows that men, no matter the species. Every time. Every time. Uh, Perrin POV is struggling with feeling like a good leader. TM. Mm-hmm. That's all I gotta say for the first two, ch- the first, like, two pages of this. Yep. Um... Except for, like, when he catches Egwene trying to start the fire to use the one power. Um, he gets so uncomfortable, and Perrin's like, Egwene, promise you won't try this, this thing again. And Egwene's like, absolutely the fuck not. She's like, I will not. Would you get up, give up that axe of yours? Would you walk around with one hand tied behind your back? I won't do it. And then it says she would not give up trying either every night, though the best she ever did was a trickle of smoke that vanished almost immediately. 
which we now know is dangerous. Like, please stop. Please calm down. Yeah. Like, yeah, stand your ground. Go off, queen. But also, like, don't kill yourself, maybe. Just wait. Just a little. Just wait. Yeah, just, like, settle down. They're concerned that the further they get away from the Aranel, and the more they go without seeing any kind of house or village or farm to ask for directions, that it's... They're going in the... Like, they're not making any progress. They're like, fuck. And that's accurate. And they are. That's totally true. A valid fear. Um... We see that they come upon another, like, mysterious, creepy rune that I really love. I love these areas. Like, uh, in the next chapter, they talk about, like, what is probably a preserved modern museum. Yes. That blew my mind. Yeah. Um, it is said, uh, once the remains of tall stone ramparts encircled a hilltop, part of roofless stone houses stood inside the falling circle. And then... They go on to say, but they found no place where man had breathed in living remembrance. Memories of Shadar Logoth kept them away from the ruins and buried their footprints until they were once more deep, once more deep in places that seemed never to have known a human footstep. So, again, we're seeing, like, ancient ruins of another civilization. It's either, like, the time of legends or, like, before that, before the breaking of the world, but we're seeing no actual, like, living civilization or yeah. living area or any kind of town or whatever. Not even, like, a single hermit nope. is out here. And since then, Perrin has a dream where our good old friend Bowsy is chasing him down, but he can never catch up to Perrin. Nope. It says, Bowsy was in them, chasing him through mazes, hunting him, but Perrin never f- met him face to face. Um... We'll see in the last chapter of this section, chapter 25, that Perrin's dreams now involve wolves and that they're always looking in some direction, guarding against something. And I feel like the closer they get to Elias and the wolves, the more of an effect it's going to have on Perrin, especially with the Dark One trying to influence him. Yeah. So I think the fact that he can never catch Perrin in these dreams and never meets him face-to-face is because they're getting progressively closer. Jesus Christ. They're getting progressively closer to Elias and to this ability of him talking to wolves, which is going to, like, protect his mind and guard him against the Dark One's influence. And the wolves are... It's definitely, like, a very, like old magic exactly like a powerful it's old older magic. than Aes Sedai yeah and we see them guarding him in his dreams in the traveling people chapter and I think the fact that it's not a coincidence that Elias mentions that they they've been tracking them and we see relatively soon after this they stumble stumble upon Elias yeah more like Elias goes around them and waits for them yeah and it's like all right come on Let's get this over it. Let's meet. Yeah, and we see that Egwene is only having nightmares of Shadar Logoth, so she's obviously not... We know she's not connected to the Dark One. We know that. Yeah. So we see Perrin and Egwene meet Elias, um, the weird forest guy. Mm-hmm. We also, um, before, a little bit before that, Perrin notes that he could he can never quite manage the void that land and the word or that rand and the lawyer talk about so he can't it's always like the flame in the void 
he can't summon the void, only the flame, which is also very in line with him being like a wolf brother. Yeah. Because wolves are very reactive creatures, they're always on guard. They're always ready to like attack or run. Yeah. I just thought that was a cool little... Oh, no, I definitely agree that that... A little bit important. Yeah. Yeah, but this fellow's weird. Weird forest guy. Weird forest guy. Perrin describes him as a lean, sun-browned man. His clothes all seem to be made from animal skins with furs still on. Even his boots and the odd flat-top round cap on his head. His cloak was a crazy quilt of rabbit and squirrel. His trousers appeared to be made from the long-haired hide of a brown and white goat. <coughs> his graying brown hair hung to his waist, a thick beard fanned across half his chest. A long knife hung at his belt, almost a sword, and a bow and quiver stood propped against a limb close to hand. Okay. And also, he's like cooking six rabbits for why? It's a lot of uh, I mean, he's obviously, he obviously was anticipating Egwene and yeah. Perrin, but like, that's too much it is also a point that they make that like at first Perrin was able to find a rabbit like he got lucky but then they've not been able to find anything since yeah and i think that's also a good signifier for when elias starts to track them because the wolves have to eat yeah yeah and that could uh, that could contribute to the lack of game for Perrin and Egwene. yeah we also see that he has um bright yellow eyes like polished gold very obviously wolf eyes yes that's cool very cool. Will Perrin get those? I hope so. I hope so. Um, I don't like that he just watches them eat. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, but that's an anxiety of mine. When, like, I'm eating somewhere and the person I'm eating with isn't eating, they go, oh, no, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, then why are we here? Then what are we doing? Why are you sitting there watching? That's so weird. We could have yeah. never done this. No. I could have snacked at home without your Literally. judgment. I don't know. It freaks me out. It's really weird. Um, Elias also kind of tells them that they're going, they have no idea where they're fucking going. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, the path you're following, the line you've taken the last two days, you'll pass a hundred miles or more north of Camelon. And then he says, the way you're going, you can travel all the way to the spine of the world without seeing another human. Of course, if you manage to climb the spine, it can be done some places. You can find people in the Aiel Waste. But you wouldn't like it there. You'd broil by day and freeze by night and die of thirst any time. It takes an eel man to find water in the waste, and they don't like strangers much. No, not much, I'd say. He's basically like, you fucking suck. Literally. And he also mentions that he doesn't also like people, and I'm like, same, brother? Same. Feel that. And then he mentions that his fam- his friends are coming. He's like, be still. My friends are because they're wolves. They're wolves. It's so cool. And there's, like, a bunch of them. There's a lot. Yeah. And Elias is like, they won't hurt your horse or you if you're still. So there's a bunch of wolves outside the clearing, but only four step into the firelight. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that kind of, like, um, situate themselves around the fire with Egwene, Perrin, and Elias. Yes. And Egwene says something about, like... Oh, it's very cool that you tame wolves. Like, are they are they your pets? And Elias is like, wolves don't tame, you idiot. Yeah. We are equals. Yes. Like, oh. They're my friends. Yeah, I love that. He also, like, reveals that he talks to them. And I'm like, okay. 
okay okay what does that mean and even parents like all right um we kind of get their names yeah so we get dapple burner and i forgot what the other two are hopper wind hopper and wind nice um and then paranagwain start to like kind of give their um shitty fake story it says early on they had concocted a story for when they found people to explain where they were going without bringing them any trouble and then elias he kind of sits there and watches it and like allows them to tell the whole story before he goes quite a story elias nodded yes quite a story there's a few things wrong with it but the main thing is dapple says it's all a lump of lies every last word and so Perrin, in reaction, his hand kind of, like, strays slightly to his axe that's on his waist. And all four wolves stand to their feet. And they, they make no sound. They just stand there. Their hackles are raised. And then one of the wolves that's still, like, behind the tree line starts to howl. Yeah. Damn. And Elias explains how he knows that um, they're lying. Because he says, Dapple says she smelled half-men and Trollocs in your minds while you were telling that fool story. They all did. You're mixed up with Trollocs somehow, and the Eyeless. Wolves hate Trollocs and half-men worse than wildfire, worse than anything, and so do I. So, they can smell their thoughts, which I think is, so, like, an interesting concept. Very interesting. Because we know dogs and wolves in general have heightened senses, and to, like, instead of, like, oh, you have this psychic link and, like, they talk to you yeah. in your mind, it's more of, like, a sense. And we'll see it with Perrin. Like, Perrin senses how the wolves feel. Yeah. The wolves sense what they're lying about and why. Yeah. And so they start again. <clears throat> with the real story. With the real story. And Elias... He kind of explains that he doesn't trust Aes Sedai, mostly because Aes Sedai have tried to capture him and gentile him because they thought he was a man who can channel, but he's not. He just talks with wolves, yeah. which is fine. And then he says, this is an old thing, boy, older than Aes Sedai, older than anybody using the one power, old as humankind, old as wolves. They don't like that either, Aes Sedai. Old things coming again. I'm not the only one. There are things other, f there are other things, other folk. Makes Aes Sedai nervous. Makes them mutter about ancient barriers weakening. Things breaking apart, they say. So, I like... I want to know what the other things are and the other people, but that's fine. Yeah. But it's also interesting that he notes it as being older than anyone using the one powder. Or one powder. One power. Old as humankind. Yeah. So, this is something that attributes, like, way before... Yes. Even, like, before the time of legends, before the breaking of, like, before everything before that we've heard. any of this. We've heard of. Which, yeah. And, I mean, it's also that he, like, has such a kind of grasp on what's going on out there, but yeah. is just wandering the woods. He's very knowledgeable. Like, we see that Elias is very knowledgeable, and it's not a false confidence, because the leader of the traveling people, Rain, also looks... To Elias as a knowledgeable figure. Yeah. We'll see that in the last chapter. But he also says, like, they're afraid the Dark One will get loose, is what you'd think I was to blame the way some of them looked at me. He's very, like, 
knowledgeable not only on Aes Sedai but on a lot of things. Yeah. Like on like old magics, on uh these barriers that are weakening. I wanna know what that's about. I want to know. It's interesting because he comes off as like a feral man. Yeah. But he's also like not just that, I guess. Yeah. Um so Elias is conferring with his wolves, most importantly, um, Dapple. She's the pack leader. Yes. We love to see it. And at first, Elias says that they can stay with him, with the wolves. And Perrin's like, no. He's like, ooh, um. <laughs> and Perrin's like, but the, the near drawl are after us. And Elias is like, I've seen a pack pull down one of the eyeless too, lost half the pack, but they wouldn't give up once they had it sent. Trollocs, Mirdral, it's all one to the wolves. If you, if it's you they really want, boy, they've heard of other men who can talk to wolves, but you're the first they've ever met besides me. So, like, the wolves want Perrin to stay because they're like, oh, there's another one, there's another wolf brother, but yeah. Perrin's like, I don't think so. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> this whole conversation between Perrin and Egwene, where Egwene kind of, like, tries to decide for them where she goes we are going to camelin and then to tarvalon closing his mouth perrin met her angry angry look with one of his own he knew that she followed his lead when she wanted to and not when she did not but she could at least let him answer for himself well what about you perrin he said and answered himself me well let me think yes yes i think i'll go on he turned a mild smile on her well Egwene, that makes both of us i guess i'm going with you at that good to talk these things out before making decisions isn't it the shade i'm living yes and then elias was like elias says that dapple assume that that's what perrin would choose yeah and that's when he offers to go with them yeah to kind of escort them to camelin and that's when abruptly burn the other wolf stands up and dapple stands up and they just stand there for a couple minutes and then burn runs off and it said um right like perrin feels burn leaving it says he could feel burn leaving and the scarred male was not the only one a dozen others all young males lopped after him just before the departing wolves faded from his mind he felt a thought he knew came from burn as sharp and clear as it were his own thought hatred hatred and the taste of blood damn damn i think it'd be really cool if like in the future, like in a sequel or in this book where Perrin's in trouble and he like calls on the wolves to help him and burns the one that answers the call. That's just my brain working overtime, but I think that would be I like it. I love it. So now we're on chapter 24, um, my least favorite chapter of the five. Yeah. Flight down the Aranel where we see Matt and Rand being fools again. Yes. Um thoughts on getting more dream sequences was an avocado thanks this not a dreams person oh i am um but once again rand's there dark one's there why are you so obsessed with me um once rand can kind of like form his own thoughts and declare that the dream is a dream like the dark one gets like angry and the dream ends yeah so I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, 
But he wakes up and realizes that in the dream when he cut his finger, he cut his finger in real life. Which we saw with the rats. Yes. So more and more things are happening, which says it's more than just a dream. But also, like, if that's all you can do, scary. Ooh, I'm Ooh, scared. You gave me a paper cut. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, a paper cut. However will I survive? Um, the boat is struggling. The wind is not on their side because the wind is on Perrin's side, apparently. Yeah, that's where all the wind is. It's it on is. Perrin. It's uh, backlighting him. <laughs> Making sure his hair looks great. Yeah. Um, Matt is turning into either Smeagol or Frodo. Hell yeah. Um, don't oh, read the books. Just in the movies. Really disliked him. <laughs> Just saying. Also disliked Matt, so... <laughs> At the end of the Lord of the Rings, when they're like in the the place with the fire, and Mount the Doom, the, Mount Doom, that's it. <laughs> um, and like Frodo's standing there, I just wanted Sam to like to the lava. I was like, just I just, I would sh- think that Matt would be more like Smeagol in the fact that Smeagol finds it as opposed to Frodo offering to take it, or yeah. or rather being gaslit into offering to take it true because they're kind of like well hobbits can't be influenced that badly by sauron because their minds are simple like you guys are dicks you guys ruined this man's life yeah (laughs) again didn't read the book he's not my favorite i definitely like i love aragorn he's my favorite yeah come on yeah the last king of gondor what a man but like frodo did nothing wrong We'll discuss that later. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we're fighting, actually. <laughs> um, but anyway, the incomplete group begins uh, training as Gleeman. Yeah, that's their disguise. They're like, oh, yes, this is what we're we're here for, to train as Gleeman. Ah, yes, we're all Gleeman. Right. Yay. <laughs> uh, and if I were Tom, I'd literally hate it. And it does. Um we get a little information of civilizations long past. Hell yeah, we do. Uh, and then Rand goes absolutely crazy and oh freaks everybody out. Uh, he's just like chilling, super high on the mast, yelling. I believe he's laughing at some points. Oh yeah, he's up there laughing, not holding on to anything. Yeah. Then does some like magic trick down and is perfectly fine and everyone's like the this. When did he become a gymnast? I'm confused. Yeah, but that's anyway. Weird. And then we discover that... Uh, the stupidest man in the land, Matt, stole a dagger from Shadar Logoth. Oh, and then he blames everyone else blames but himself? Blames everybody else. He's like, oh no, I didn't steal it because you took me out while I was You dragged me it. away while... Okay, drop it. I Literally. don't understand. <laughs> sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. Matt, the crazy person, convinces Rand, another crazy person, not to tell anyone he stole the dagger. And uh, Rand is for sure going to break that promise at some point. Just, he better. I'm just mad that the two crazy people ended up together. Yeah. And last note, Matt is also having dreams. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I even wrote my first thought of this chapter was Rand and Matt become crazy people in the chapter. It's literally, that's literally what it is. This was a rough chapter. Yeah. This this one was definitely not my favorite. Like, I enjoyed the dream stuff, but everything after that, I was just kind of like... I hate you both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is this is a more in-depth part or more in-depth look of the dream that Perrin's having. But unlike Perrin, we see that Rand 
meets palsy every now and again he doesn't know what happens when they meet he doesn't know how it goes he just knows he ends up escaping and then ends up back in the maze yeah which multi-level maze puzzles are my absolute favorite kind of puzzles um he knows it's a dream and he knows he's been here before he says he pressed seeking freedom knowing it was an illusion everything was an illusion but we're getting like i get big smeagol energy from rand in this dream where he's yeah. like i can't if i think he'll come i can't think i can't do that and it's just like super like he's crazy unhinged like manic energy if you ever read um a scanner darkly by philip k dick it's kind of like that okay um he wrote it when he was in rehab going through drug work withdrawals and the character in the book who's a drug enforcement agent who also poses as a drug addict and a drug seller of this like futuristic drug in the future goes through withdrawal because he has to take the drug as his cover but then he withdraws from it and like the thoughts are so it's so interesting how he writes this book because his thoughts are very cyclical and they spiral out all the time like out of control like very manic very paranoid very um spirally but it's so interesting. Anyway, wow. it's a great sci-fi huh. book. Um, we see that there's another person in the stream, and at first I wanted it to be like one of the other boys going through the maze that he can see, but it's not. Yeah. Um, it said he didn't need to be closer to know the cloak was the red of fresh blood and the searching eyes blaze like two furnaces. So we know who this is. Yep. We know. Good old ballsy. Yeah, good old ballsy. Just kind of hanging out. And then we see that, like, this is where I get, like, the Smeagol, like, drug addict energy from. Yeah. Matt, or Rand says, the only thing to do, as it had been from the beginning, was to keep moving. Keep moving and not think. Thinking was dangerous, he knew. And then we hear that there had been close brushes. There had been two or three close brushes, though he could not remember them clearly, but for a long, long time. How long? He had to run while back. Balzi vainly pursued. As it had before, every time he allowed himself to think of what surrounded him as a dream, the air shimmered, clouding his eyes. It turned to gel, holding him just for an instant. So, I feel like the Dark One is trying to make Rand think this is not a dream. Rand, being able to channel is his, like, instinct brain, his rational brain is like, hey, you can channel. This is a dream. This is a dream. Please realize this is a dream. But his lizard brain is like, can't think. Only run. But his rational brain is like, please realize that this is a dream. Yeah. And Rand understands that it's dangerous and he needs to find his way out. But he can't because all he's doing is not thinking and running, which is not smart. No. And then we hear about how the encounters that he already had with Balzi, he can't remember. No. They had happened and he had escaped, but he can't remember or think too much about them because he feels like it will summon him. Yeah. And this is where we see Rand 1 cut his finger and he trips and he overturns one of the smooth stones that line the maze and he kicks it out of the ground and he turns it over and staring back at him is a fucking human skull. I love it. Yeah. I want to pave my house in human skulls. Okay. And he thinks he's like starting to find his way out. He thinks he's in a good direction. 
and then he turns around a corner to find himself face to face with Balzi. Nice. We love that. Hey, brother. Welcome to the fun fest. So, Balzi is, like, surprised and very triumphant. He says, how long do you think you can evade me, boy? How long do you think you can evade your fate? You're mine. And Rand's like, light, help me. And Balzi says, the light will not help you, boy, and the eye of the world will not serve you. You are my hound, and if you will not course at my command, I will strangle you with the corpse of the great serpent. You what? That's uh, some big talk there, sir. So, this book is obviously called The Eye of the World. The way that it's talked about in this chapter, and then subsequently in the next chapter, because we'll see this kind of, like, epitaph. Yeah. Kind of um, repeated in the next chapter, in a way. The Eye of the World, to me, is a place, but it also seems like a tool for channeling, or a tool for harnessing the one power. Yeah. Something like that, like a reservoir of it. A well of ascension, if you will, if you've read Brandon Sanderson. We're making so many references in this episode. We are. Um, and the Great Serpent, it gets referred to as something else by Elias a little bit later, so we'll talk about it then. But it's just weird that it's, in this chapter, referred to as something that also has a corpse. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That it's, yeah, like a physical... It's a physical thing. But also, it's kind of a perception of a thing. We'll get there yes. later. Um, Rand starts shouting that it's a dream. He starts to get angry. He's like, this is a dream. It's all a dream. And we see that Bowsy's eyes start to, like, um, get angry and surprised. They, like, widen in surprise and anger. And then the air shimmers, and he starts to fade and he blurs out and then Rand starts turning around to see what's going on and he's surrounded by mirrors on all sides and he says that he's staring at his own image thrown back at him ten thousand fold and he starts to see like a red blur around the mirror and he's like trying to follow it and he finally finds himself staring at his face with Bowsy behind him and then there comes a point, it's the end of the dream, where there's only one face in the endless mirrors. So it says, there was only one face in those endless mirrors. His own face. Balzi's face. One face. So, I have, an, I have a thought here. Heard. What if, okay, so I've been reading a lot of books with like insane like plot twists that okay. end up like kind of like Looper-esque. Okay. So what if... Bowsy isn't the dark one necessarily what if it's a crazy rand from the future that was driven crazy by using the one power in order to stop the dark one but now kind of serves the dark one as like a like a little menace a little sidekick anyway that's where my head was at like what if future crazy rand is magically haunting normal rand but future crazy rand has like obviously gone crazy like we saw um that guy in the beginning in the prologue he went crazy yeah that king guy yeah and crazy rand convinces himself that he's the dark one but crazy rand also knows like crazy future rand also knows that he could stop this future possibility by by sci-fi haunting 
magically haunting past Rand. And, like, he's trying to warn him, but also trying... He's trying to warn him, but also he's crazy and yeah. can't. Anyway, that's okay. where my mind went. And then Rand wakes up and he's bleeding from the finger he cut in his dream. And that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just casual. Yeah, that's fine. And he's, like, fucked up about it. Yeah. So then we get to, like, um, the spray and, like, what's happening on the ship on their journey to Whitebridge. And I feel like there's some kind of magic tampering happening with the wind. It's either yeah. the mirror draw in order to catch up with them. Yes. Or it's Moraine in order to slow them down so yes. they can arrive at Whitebridge together. That was my thoughts exactly. Yeah. Also, Matt's acting shady. Always. Matt had spent too much time alone since the night at Shadar Logoth, brooding as Rand saw it. Good. That's fine. Yeah. Very casual. Everything's fine. So then, um, Matt and Rand start actual Gleeman training as part of their cover, because that's what they said that they were doing. Um, I also really like the piece of imagery, uh, for the cliffs on the Aranel, like, very much reminds me of Lord of the Rings, where, like, the kings and queens of the past are, like, cut into the stones, and, like, you pass by all of them as you go down. Like, I think that's really cool. Um, or... Mount Rushmore. Ah, uh, yes, the great fantasy location of Mount Rushmore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we get this cool little piece where I think that they're one hundred percent talking about places in the world that actually have our modern technology, which is ancient technology to their people. Again, I definitely think that this takes place on a future Earth that has gone through some kind of apocalypse event and the people got reverted to medieval times. That's oh, my thought here. But we see that on Tremelkin, one of the Sea Folk Isles, there's a stone hand 50 feet high sticking out of a hill clutching a crystal shape as big as this vessel, meaning the spray. The Sea Folk care not for sailing their ships in search or the sea folk care for naught but sailing their ships and searching for Koromor, their chosen one. So I think their Koromor is their dragon reborn. Yeah. Is like their mythic hero. And then immediately after, we hear about Tanchico. It's a part of the Panarch's palace. And it was built in the Age of Legends. And it's... Uh, the captain describes it it as having a wall with a frieze showing animals no living man has ever seen. In Tanchico, they have them all, them being bones, fastened together like the animal was. Because Matt says something, or Rand says something like, any child can draw an animal no one's ever seen. The captain's like, that's true, but what about all the bones they have there? Literally. So I'm thinking, like, is, are they talking about a fucking museum? Yeah. Like a like a museum museum? Like that's cool. Anyway, it's just giving me more uh thoughts about the fact that I think these this is a civilization that came after our civilization. Oh yeah. Like this is a post apocalyptic earth people type yes. energy. They call them um interregnums. So that's what this kind of sci fi fantasy okay. is called. Um Learning New Words. Rand starts to freak everyone out by climbing up the mass and sitting there and hanging 
off of it and laughing like a psychopath and he like does some front flips down to the deck that's fine okay i guess like cool why do you always act the craziest after you have dreams that's fine yeah um we see that rand lands in front of matt and matt is only focused on this like we finally see it but this ornate dagger that he has yeah and it says um he was looking down at matt in surprise and at what matt held hidden from everyone else by his body a carved dagger with a gold scabbard worked in strange symbols fine gold wire wrapped around the hilt which was capped by a ruby as big as Rand's thumbnail, and the Quillians were gold-scaled serpents bearing their fangs. That 100% is the dagger from Min's prophecies. A yes. ruby-hilted dagger. Yeah. And I think it's not good. And It's not good. Matt doesn't <clears throat> even notice Rand. He doesn't e- I'm sorry, but if someone front flips in front of you, it's loud. It's not like a quiet front flip. No. They're on a ship. Yeah, it's not quiet. And so Matt is still playing with the dagger and he slowly like raises his head, but his eyes are still like unfocused and he focuses on Rand finally and he like stuffs the dagger away. Yeah. Like a crazy person. Yeah, he's That's crackhead energy. Oh, big time. Yeah, and then Matt blame like you said, Matt blames him in parent. He's like, You guys pulled me away before I could drop it. It's all your fault. You could you could have just even though he could have just literally unleashed a terrible magic into yeah. the world. And somehow cr- crazy Matt convinces crazy Rand not to tell anybody about it. And I just don't... <sighs> no uh, yeah. thoughts. There's no words. They're crazy people. And then Rand finally realizes he like he like looks up and follows the mass all the way to the top. And he finally realizes how high up he was. Being an absolute psychopath. Yeah, he's like, oh god, what? Yeah. And like, he's like, what the fuck is going on? He's like, Rand's gaze drifted to the top of the mast and he shivered. What's happening to me? Light what? And he he goes on to say he had to find out. He had to get to Tarvalon before he really did go mad. Yeah. Like, that's insane. That Yeah, you definitely need to hurry. Sweet Rand. Also, oh, oh shit. <gasps> I'm going to pause. Nope. Because I have to blow my nose. Nope. Alright, so we're on uh, chapter 25, The Traveling People. I think this is by far the most engaging chapter for me because I really like the kind of bit at the end with Rain, like, um, kind of relaying what had happened a couple years ago story yeah um so the summary i started it with wolves send tweet that's it just wolves hey siri compose a tweet wolves send tweet (laughs) did she do that yeah motherfucker hells yeah i can't believe that worked literally hey siri never works for me incredible she came around for the podcast literally didn't work again amazing um so we're back with our friends Perrin and Egwene the much better chapters um Perrin is not having spooky maze dreams but wolf dreams nice great much rather wolf dreams than spooky maze dreams uh speaking of dreams uh oh god what was my 
It was a very weird dream. Was I in it? No, but <laughs> was. <laughs> Do you think it's because you keep thinking that he's following you whenever you <laughs> see cutouts at the store? Probably. That could be it. <laughs> that could oh, possibly oh be it. Oh my god. Okay, I remember. So for some reason, I was pet sitting for the great aunt that I don't like. Nice. I was pet sitting their dog. And I kept like, you know, I'd take the dog out for walks. I'd give the dog food. Her was there with me. Uh, and then like all of her neighbors like kept trying to take the dog from me and kept telling me I was not caring for the dog. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. We're having a great time. We're going on walks. You've seen me go on walks. And they're like, you're not taking the dog on walks. And I had to get the dog back. Nice. It was Ocean's Eleven, but for a dog. Yeah, it was... Hell yeah. Interesting. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that's my dream. Uh, they met with a group of... They call them, uh, what, tinkers, tinkers a lot? Yeah. Uh, but also the traveling people. Cool. They go around fixing things and searching for the song. Uh, I have so many thoughts about that. Very so many. curious. Um, Egwene flirts with a boy. His name is not Rand or Rat. God bless. Thank God. Um, we are told about a group of women fighters. They were killed in the blight. One survived long enough to deliver. I put and important message, but I meant <laughs> and important message. I think you meant Rand important message. <laughs> uh, I'll be here all week. Okay, <laughs> so Grain's obviously, like, uncomfortable around the wolves. Yes. <clears throat> but Elias, the wolves, Egwene and Perrin, they travel together for a couple days. And Perrin always has a, a vague sense of what direction where the wolves are. Yes. And every time he, like, um, every time his brain picks it up, he's like, oh, yeah, they're right over there. It, like, freaks him out. Yeah. Like, he doesn't like it, but it's almost like a second nature. Absolutely. So... Perrin, um, he stops having, like, the Bowsy dreams, but he starts having dream like, his dreams are relatively normal, but they contain wolves now. Every dream has a wolf. So it said, um, he tried not thinking about the wolves, but they crept into his thoughts all the same. He had not dreamed about Bowsy since meeting Elias and the wolves. His dreams, as much as he remembered of them, on waking were of everyday things, just as he might have dreamed at home before Barillon, before winter night. Normal dreams, with one addition. In every dream he remembered, there was a point where he would straighten from Master Lewin's forge to wipe the sweat from his face, or turn from dancing with the village girls on the green, or lifted his head from a book in front of the fireplace, and whether he was outside or under a roof, there was a wolf close at hand. And out always the wolf's back was to him, and always he knew. In the dreams, it seemed the normal course of things, even at Alsbeth Lewin's dinner table, that the wolves' yellow eyes were watching for what might come, guarding against what might come. Only when he was awake did the dream seem strange. So, like, we see, like, he's integrating with the wolves in a way that's second nature to him, but it still freaks him out. Like, yeah. his rational brain is like, I don't like this, but his lizard brain is like, yeah, this is normal, this is right. Yeah. Like, he's subconsciously tracking where they are in his mind. But every time he realizes it and he becomes fully conscious of it, he's like, I don't fuck with that. He's like, crap. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit. 
What is happening? So yeah, then we see that like they run into <clears throat> the tinkers and Elias doesn't like them. They're called the Tuathana. I don't know. The traveling people or tinkers. Yes. And like we also see that Terran fairy folk have ju- judgments about the tinkers as yeah. they do everyone else. Yep. They see them as thieves. Elias like, okay. <laughs> um, but he tells them that the tinkers may make him sick, but they don't steal any more than most folk. So he's kind of like, you guys are dumb. Yeah, he's like, they're just like ridiculous. People. So we see them and they like, they wear super colorful clothing that don't match. Yeah. And their wagons are like even more colorful. Like they're painted in like bright, bold colors. Um, And then we meet the leader of the Tinkers. His name's Rain. And he addresses Elias by saying, you are welcome to our fires. Do you know the song? And Elias replies with, your welcome warms my spirit, Mahdi, as your fires warm the flesh, but I do not know the song. And then Rain says, then we we seek still, as it was, so it shall be, if we if we but remember, seek and find. So I'm assuming that that's like just their normal greeting. Yeah. Um, Rain is the Mahdi or the seeker of the group of this group of the traveling people, and they travel because they're looking for the song. Um, it says they say they lost it in the breaking of the world, and if they can find it again, the paradise of the age of legends will return. They don't even know what the song is. They claim they'll know it when they find it. They don't know how it's supposed to bring paradise either. But they've been looking near to 3,000 years ever since the breaking. So my brain was like disturbingly like spiders, tingly senses, whatever, while I was reading this. Because I was like, we've heard about like the singing or song or whatever. We've heard about that before. In the prologue, page 28. Have you a voice, stranger? It will soon be time for the singing, and here all are welcome to take part. Yes. That was during the breaking of the world. So that's when the traveling people lost their song. So I'm wondering if the traveling people are, it's like, again, some kind of ancient culture where the voice and singing is some sort of channeling that was integral to their culture that's now gone because of the breaking of the world or something along those lines no that makes sense um Egwene finds the bad boy yeah we love to see it it. um we learned about the way of the leaf which means that like the tinkers don't fight back they're like amish people yeah they just run they're just a very non-violent people who just wander around yeah, super, fixing things. Super pacifists. If you attack them, they'll do nothing. Like Amish people. Yeah. Um Aram, the bad boy that Egwene likes, kind of like removes her from Perrin and Elias to go eat somewhere else. And then we hear Eli- why Rain wanted to see Elias. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. He wanted to see him because um not because he wants to like convert him to the way of the leaf which is what elias assumes yeah he said 
I have heard a story since we last met, and if you've not heard it yet, it might interest you. <clears throat> Why? Why, do, why would it interest Elias? Anyway, it interests me, and I have heard it again and again every time we meet others of the people. So, we hear this story. It takes place two years ago. A band of Aiel women were found all dead. There were um, a band of uh, women warriors from the Aiel Wastes, except for one who managed to crawl her way to the Tinkers, despite... The, Aiel, the people of Aiel and Tinkers, Tinkers don't hate anybody, but the people of Aiel hate the Tinkers, yeah. to deliver them a message. And she said, um, she sees the seeker of that band by his coat, and this is what she said word for word. Leaf blighter means to blind the eye of the world, lost one. He means to slay the great serpent, warn the people, lost one. Sight burner comes. Tell them to stand, ready for he who comes with the dawn. Tell them. And then she died. Life Blighter and Sight Burner are Aiel names for the Dark One. She thought it important enough to approach those she obviously despised to pass it on with her last breath. But to who? We ourselves, the people. Or we are ourselves, the people, but I hardly think she meant it for us. The Aiel. They would not let us... They would not let us tell them if we tried. She called us the lost. So again, this goes back to the prologue part where like, it's the sign of the singing. Do you have the voice? I think there's definitely something more to the tinker culture or at least a tinker culture from before the breaking yeah. of the world from the Age of Legends where they were a greater people mm-hmm. and they had some kind of ability or something important that they <clears throat> lost. And now the, they're these pacifists that that have exiled themselves <clears throat> to just walk around yeah. seeking what they lost which is so depressing it is and it's yeah it's like a generational thing that like it it's almost so ingrained in them that they have to find what they're looking for yeah whereas like during the breaking of the world it was probably they lost their ability or whatever was important to their culture because of the breaking yeah because of the separation from the one power and the true source and it's not something that they can get back yeah but now it's generational it's never gonna like that's just that's what their culture revolves around now it revolves around finding the song um but as we saw in a few chapters ago or rather last chapter balzi mentioned to rand how he how the eye of the world won't help him and how he'll choke rand with the corpse of the great serpent and elias responds with slay the great serpent kill time itself and blind the eye of the world as well. Say he's going to starve a rock. Maybe he was babbling rain. Wounded, dying, she could have lost her grip on what was real. So, the great serpent is time itself. The eye of the world is a place, but like we talked about last chapter, it's probably also some sort of tool to channel. Mm -hmm. Whereas the great serpent, it's it represents time, but I also think it could be something real. Or, again, like I was talking about with Rand's dream, to choke someone with time would to tra- be to trap them in a loop destined to be doomed. Yeah. Like, like we talked about Looper earlier. His destiny was always to kill himself. He had to kill his future self. That's how his loop ends. Rand's loop is to force Rand to be, inf- like, force crazy future Rand to allow past Rand to be influenced by the Dark One where crazy future Rand just wants to help him, but he can't because he's crazy future Rand. Yeah. I think. Anyway, that's where my brain is. 
I don't know why um, Rain wants to tell Elias this. He says, when I saw you walking into our camp, I thought perhaps we would find the answer at last since you were. And then Elias cuts him off and I'm mad as hell. I know. Fuck. You were what? Yeah, I've never wanted to read ahead so hard in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh. And then we hear from Perrin um, later on. He's kind of lying next to the fire, and he's he's kind of thinking about what the Aiel woman said. He said, it made no sense to him that it had, as, that it had to reign or Elias, the eye of the world. That had been in his dreams more than once, but he did not want to think about those dreams. What? What are those dreams? Yes. Why are you keeping the good dreams away from us? Yeah. So, I'm very interested to read on. Yes. But that's all that we have today. That's all, folks. Wow, this is a long chapter. Oh, yeah. This is a long... No, it's about... It's a little less than 80. Oh, I just meant uh, chapter 26. Yeah. It's like kind of long, but not that bad. So our next um, section, for those of you who like to follow us along, but also we're not shaming those who are just here for the wild ride that is us talking about this book, we're going to read uh, chapter 26 through 30. So you're reading chapter 6 and you're stopping at chapter 31. It's about 80 pages. Again, a little short guy. Um... That will be for episode seven, and I'm very excited to see where that leads us, because I have so many questions that remain to be answered, and all I'm thinking about is this book, and I hate that I can't just obsessively read it like I would anything else. Exactly. So that's it for episode six of the Dead Letters pod... Nope. Let's try again, because I'm an idiot. That's it for episode six of the Dead Letters Club podcast. Nice. Solid. (laughs) Join us next time. Come to our next meeting. Um, Thank you so much for listening to our podcast in a crypt, the Dead Letters Club. Special thank you to Cade Sov, that's at C-A-E-D-S-A-U-V, for making us sound better. And our theme song, which is perfect. It is perfect. Another special thank you to Art with Erica, that's art underscore with underscore Erica, for all of your art commission needs. She does our art, which I love. That is very kind of her. And we're your enigmatic, ghoulish hosts. We are. You can find us on Instagram instagram as well and if you want to scream into the void we do have an email for all complaints inquiries and questions thank you so much thanks goodbye goodbye